Blog Talk Radio. comes in in the middle of November, 
and can hire an athletic director immediately, that still makes it very, very hard to make your head coaching yeah. decision, given that most head coaching decisions happen the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, it'll be really tough for Ole Miss to have the framework in place to have a non-interim athletic director or chancellor making the decision about the direction of the program. So I think Luke has a little bit of extra afforded leeway just because the people who would usually be in place to make those decisions yeah. probably won't be in place yet. Yeah, I, I think it's great. You don't want an interim uh, athletic director making your coaching hire, so I definitely agree with that. I think that probably gives him uh, a little bit longer lease uh, than, than he might have otherwise. Again, we're talking with Claren Ledger, Ole Miss beat writer Nick Suss here on TSR Live. Uh, one, of, one of my colleagues uh, asked a, a pretty interesting question on our TSR Live show over the weekend. If if you could poll Ole Miss fans and ask the question, uh, would you rather have Matt Luke or offensive coordinator Rich Rod- Rodriguez as the head coach, what would those would you take? How do, how do you think about what What are your thoughts on that? How do you think think that poll would go? I think generally speaking, Ole Miss fans would probably prefer Luke because as you alluded to, he's their guy. But I think Ole Miss fans, speaking as generally as possible, think that the Luke and Rodriguez together scenario is best with Luke as the head coach and Rodriguez as the play caller offensive coordinator. I, I don't think the flipped situation would necessarily be the thing fans are looking for, especially because... Rodriguez in his last 15 seasons as the head coach has had the same offensive coordinator for all 15 of those years. He is now Ole Miss's tight ends coach, Calvin McGee. Uh, I think that these coaches have their connections and have the things they like to do. And ultimately I think the hires of Rodriguez and McIntyre will be beneficial for Matt Luke. It's not just those two. There's also Jack McNell on the staff who was a former head coach at Louisiana tech. He's the offensive line coach. You have Ty Nix who has almost 20 years of FBS defensive coordinator experience. You assign him as your outside linebacker coach. And as I alluded, McGee is the tight ends coach. There's a ton of experience under Luke on this staff. And I think that's the way it was designed. Maybe Luke might not be the most experienced coach, but he's a good guy to get the fan base riled up and excited because he is an Ole Miss guy and the other coaches can make up for his lack of experience with their wealth of it. Yeah. When you go through NCAA sanctions, it it takes time to come, come back from that. And you look at this roster and that you can see in the depth that, that, that is definitely cost them that now, trying to, to pull themselves out of that. How realistic, what, what are the expectations like going into this season? As you look at the roster and you look at playing that tough SEC schedule, it, they, they might take some lumps at times. How realistic do you think the, the fan base is, is going to be with this team? I think that you're always going to have a fringe of fans who will support you no matter what, and you're always going to have a fringe of fans who want to pull the trigger after week one. Uh, those two things are inseparable, but I think that the The majority of Ole Miss fans understand that this is a young team. This is a team that went five and seven last year and had as many players drafted into the NFL as Clemson did. The top level talent is really not where it was this time a year ago with guys like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Greg Little, Dawson Knox. They were all picked in the first three rounds back in April. You don't have those guys anymore. What you do have instead is, 31 players who they signed in their recruiting class this offseason, three JUCO guys who are going to have to start on defense day one, 
there's a point this spring or this fall rather where all five of their second string offensive linemen were true freshmen. That might be the case on Saturday. I think it'll definitely be three of them. You're going to have a true freshman backup quarterback because your only non-true freshman quarterback is a redshirt freshman quarterback who will be making his first ever start. Uh, This is a very young team and you have to give Luke the chance to develop that because they've got another pretty good recruiting class coming up the pike for 2020. And and they are giving themselves the time to rebuild. It's just a matter of will this rebuild be strong enough when the SEC West is as good as it was at its peak three, four years ago when Ole Miss was contending, but now seemingly they've been replaced in the pecking order by LSU or Texas A&M or Auburn or Mississippi State. Again, we're talking with Nick Suss, Ole Miss beat writer from the Clarion Ledger here on TSR Live. Uh, this is the last game of this series coming up on Saturday, at least for the foreseeable future. I, I think most Memphis fans are, are fully on board with the game, say for a few who say they, they probably never play an SEC opponent if they, they could help it due to recruiting implications and things like that. I, I've always pushed back on that notion, though. I enjoy playing the, the regional games. I mean, if you're a Memphis fan and, and live in this area, you probably live next to or, or work with uh, Ole Miss fans, Tennessee fans, Mississippi State fans. Arkansas fans, et cetera, or, and it, it, it makes it it makes it fun. I, I like these games, but I think from from the Ole Miss perspective, they, they probably I would say a lot of Ole Miss people would probably rather not play this game. As I think it's it's kind of a a, a catch twenty two. I think if if Ole Miss wins the wins the game, it's kind of like oh well, they're, even though they're not favored in the game, most people would say oh well, Ole Miss is supposed to be Memphis. If Memphis wins the game, I think nationally, even though they're favored. A lot of people would, would, would set up and take notice that Memphis opened their season with a win over the SEC program. Uh, so it's kind of a, a, a weird uh, scenario there. What, what are your thoughts on, on that, and how do you think Ole Miss and, and their fans and, and everyone feels coming into this game, and what are their, their thoughts on it? I mean, you took a lot of the words out of my mouth there, Isaac. I think that <laughs> Ole Miss fans definitely have less motivation to play this game than Memphis fans because Memphis has a lot more to gain with a win than Ole Miss yeah. does. But just out of sheer curiosity, I asked Matt Luke about this yesterday. I said, hey, there are no more games left on the schedule for the foreseeable future. Do you want to see this series continue? And Matt said, yeah, I, I think that I would like to see that. I, I like getting to play in front of our fans up in Memphis who maybe don't get to yeah. come down to Oxford as often as they can. I think that from the recruiting perspective, it's really important to play games in Memphis because – it's kind of like an extra home game in terms of official visits when you're recruiting that city so heavily. And I wrote about that extensively this morning. I I think that Memphis is a huge recruiting ground, a huge battleground for Ole Miss and something that Ole Miss theoretically should be able to win among power five schools. I mean, Memphis is always going to carve out its own recruiting block in the city, but Oxford is a hundred miles closer to Memphis than Starkville is. It's, 200 miles closer than Nashville is. I mean, as the battleground city there in the Southeast, Oxford should be, or Ole Miss rather, should be the city that wins that. And playing games in Memphis could be a way to keep your name fresh for, for the players in that city. Yeah, I, I, I agree with it. Definitely, I can see that from the Ole Miss perspective. It, it just makes a lot of sense to me. And I, it's weird because a lot of times teams, they, they don't like to play these games. And it, it just makes so much sense. It makes sense for Memphis because it helps them monetary-wise when they can get a lot of Ole Miss fans into the stadium and help fill the stadium up as well. 
so I, I love these robberies. I hate it. And I would like to see it happen, but I, I don't think the series is going to continue. But, hey, what, what, what do I know? I'm just a sports guy here talking on the radio. But, again, we're talking with uh, Nick Suss here from the Clarion Ledger. Um, Matt, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but Matt Luke brings in two Pac-12 guys and Rich Rod, who I mentioned, again, we mentioned early, and Mike McIntyre to help turn things around. What, what type of impact do you think each of those guys will have uh, on, this, on this team and this, this coaching staff, respectively? Well, I mean, identity-wise, they are completely reconfiguring what Ole Miss looks like. Offensively, anyone who's watched college football since the turn of the century knows what a Rich Rodriguez offense looks like. It's usually very run-heavy, usually a mobile quarterback. Yeah. You think of guys like Pat White, Denard Robinson, Khalil Tate, Steve Slayton as a running back. You think of that sort of high-paced, spread-option type offense that he and Urban Meyer and Chip Kelly kind of innovated in the first decade of the century. That's what Ole Miss is going to be running. They have a very good rushing attack this year with four running backs that they seem to trust. And they have a quarterback in Matt Corral that averaged about six and a half yards per carry last year, even though he wasn't a rusher coming out of high school, so to speak. They're going to run a lot like that. That's what Rodriguez's effect has been. It's more of a schematic change more of an attitude change they're going to be more physical and more downhill and more willing to attack instead of kind of playing in space like Ole Miss did under Phil Longo defensively Mike McIntyre is completely reinventing the wheel he is moving everything from a 4-3 to a 3-4 he's taking all of the players who were defensive ends in the previous defense and standing them up all the outside linebackers all the outside linebackers are now moving inside to play inside backer uh, there are just new responsibilities, nose tackles now where there used to be two, three techs or two techs. They're really uh, changing the front seven in an attempt to A, stop the run a lot more, and B, rush the passer better because those were two things Ole Miss was dreadful at last year. Uh, you free up more pass rushing lanes when you have people standing up off the edge, and you theoretically clog the middle of the field better when you have a nose tackle and two inside backers than you did when you have two defensive tackles and one inside backer. So that's the plan with these two coordinators. McIntyre has a very analytical approach and the defense is starting to reflect that being a little more focused, a little more key based, whereas the offense is kind of reflecting uh, Rodriguez's, shall we say, frenetic personality. He's very loud. He's, he's very energetic and the offense is kind of reflecting that on the practice field. Yeah, and we, we kind of talk about the, the talent that the Rebels lost on, on both sides of the football um, from last season, but especially offensively. And you talk about quarterback Matt Carroll, uh, Corral uh, took, took advantage of the new four-game rule and is a redshirt freshman uh, despite being able to play in some games last season. Coach Luke called him a, a, a willing runner, um, I saw in, a, in an interview. Because uh, mm-hmm. in, in that new offense, you need a, mo- a mobile quarterback, and it, it definitely fits that new system if he is able to, to, to get out there and move around a little bit. Uh, how good can, can Matt be, and is he ready to step in and, and be the leader for for this football team, even though he doesn't have, have a lot of experience? I'll just put it this way, and, and this is not to say I expect this. This is just what the numbers say. If Matt Corral plays the way he did in his four games last year over the course of 12 games this year, he will probably be a high trophy finalist. Last year, he completed 73% of his passes. That would have been best of any Power 5 quarterback had he played 12 games. He averaged 10.9 yards per pass attempt last year. 
the only two quarterbacks in college football who averaged more were Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa. He averaged 6.5 rushing yards per attempt last year. The only Power 5 quarterback who averaged more was Kyler Murray. There, were only, there was only one group of five quarterbacks, Nathan O'Rourke from Ohio, who also achieved that mark. He's a good player. He played really well last year. Of course, he achieved a lot of that against the likes of Southern Illinois and Louisiana Monroe, which are much easier defenses to produce against than Memphis or Arkansas. And then when you get into Cal and Alabama week four and five, you're looking at some of the best defenses in the country. Is he going to be able to replicate that? I have no idea of knowing. The numbers support him. The numbers say he was very productive last year. Coming out of high school, he was the number four ranked pro-style quarterback in the country when the number one guy was Trevor Lawrence and the number two guy was JT Daniels. He's in pretty good company. You have to think that he will be pretty good. You have to think that his pedigree alone makes him a quarterback that should be respected, even though he's never started a game before. But the big if is what is it going to happen in this new offense? How is he going to look? There's so much uncertainty because we've never seen what this offense is going to ask from him. So that is a long way of saying I have no idea, but <laughs> the best guess is probably that he's pretty good. Yeah, from from what the, the limited time that I, I saw him last year, he looked like he is capable of, of, of being a really, really good quarterback um, in the SEC. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being really good. Uh, but we talked about this, this team. This team was absolutely loaded um, at wide receiver last year. But so you lose Metcalf, you lose Brown, lose Demarcus Lodge. Uh, when it does settle, it, it leaves Elijah Brown, a guy who uh, only had 36 catches for 398 yards and two touchdowns last year. Elijah Moore. Did I, say, I said Brown. I don't know what I'm thinking. Uh, Elijah Moore was a guy who showed the ability to make some tough catches last year. Uh, with so much talent, I think he kind of got overshadowed there a little bit. But he's going to be the guy. I expect him to get a lot of work this year. Uh, talk, talk about his game and, and, and how good is he? can he be for this offense. Yeah, Elijah's going to be the highlight guy of this offense. He's stepping in for A.J. Brown in the slot. He's a little shifty guy. He's not your Calvin Johnson breed of receiver. He's 5'9 on a good day, but he finds space, and he can wiggle through space, and he's very good at it. I think he caught 11 or 12 balls last year against Texas A&M. He, he really did show that he can get open against some of the best defenses in the country, and he's going to be asked to go over the middle, but he'll have a little bit of help. Even during Ole Miss's recruiting probation, the one thing they were always able to do was recruit receivers. You yeah, have Braylon Sanders, definitely. who was the guy who actually yeah. stepped in for DK Metcalf last year. He's going to be a starter. You have a true correct. freshman, Jonathan Mingo, who was a four-star, one of the top players in Mississippi last year, who has impressed everybody this fall camp. He's actually drawn a lot of comparisons to A.J. Brown. You have Miles Battle, who redshirted last year, who's your stereotypical 6'5 guy who – is going to be a red zone threat. And then you have two senior tight ends in Octavius Cooley and Jason Pellerin who uh, expect a little bit of 12 packages, 22 packages from Ole Miss as they try to work these tight ends in. Last year, the tight end Dawson Knox was a third round draft pick, but didn't catch a touchdown. This year they want to uh, not have that problem again and actually use the tight ends in the passing game. And another guy that I expect to get a lot of work this year, especially in a, in a rich run offense is, Sonny Phillips, the guy who came just short of yeah. 1,000 yards last year, hurt his ankle in an A&M game, was kind of banged up there down the stretch. Uh, talk about him and, and as well as his backup, Isaiah Willard. Uh, kind of a one-two punch there. I expect to, 
to see a heavy dose of, of Phillips on, on Saturday. Talk, talk a little bit about those two guys. Yeah, I mean, the running game is actually probably going to be a one, two, three, four punch. It's just a matter of who is two, three, and four. Scotty Phillips is going to be the feature back, as you alluded to. He ran for just over, just under 1,000 yards in nine games last year, scored 12 rushing, rushing touchdowns in that time. He's going to be the feature back of this offense. But then you have Isaiah Willard, who averaged about six yards per carry against SEC teams yeah. last year, looked good, but he's more of your – he is a spellback. He's not going to be a starter. What you do have, though, is Snoop Connor, who has a chance to be a starter someday, a former Memphis commit who has really impressed since the spring. He's going to be the power back, the change of pace back. And then you also have Jerry Ely, who was a five-star they signed out of Jackson this year, who could have been a first-round pick in baseball. Uh, apparently, he didn't get the offer he wanted and ended up playing football. And now Ole Miss has a player who – when I was talking to some recruiting experts in the around signing day last year, they were comparing Jerrion Ely to a college version of what Alvin Kamara is for the Saints. You have a lot of talent in that backfield, and Scotty Phillips is going to be the feature. Uh, in his first conversation with Rich Rod, Rich told Scotty that he's going to be expected to carry 30 times a game. I don't think that's going to happen. That sounds a little exorbitantly high, but you have Isaiah, you have Snoop, and you have Jerrion. This rushing attack under Rich Rodriguez is going to be very multiple. There are going to be a lot of different ways Ole Miss can attack you, and I think that will end up being the strength of this team. And I know we're running a little bit long here, but I want to talk a little bit about the defense. You, you talk about the, the switch to the to the three four. Who who are some of the guys that, that you think will stand out? I know uh, Kadir Shepard uh, is a guy who I think it really has some talent as a senior for for this team. But who, who are some of the guys on this defense? That, that you think will stand out this year? I'm just going to go ahead and give you five names to watch from all across the defense. Up front, I think that as a senior, people are really expecting things from Benito Jones as he moves to nose tackle. He was a former five-star. I don't know if he's ever been as good as people expected him to be, but now that he's playing maybe a more natural position at nose guard, he might be able to produce a little bit more. As you take steps back, there are three linebackers to keep an eye on. One is Momo Sanogo. He's a returning starter as an inside linebacker. I think he made 118 tackles last year. He did not make the preseason All-SEC team, but I think a lot of people felt that was a snub. He's a very talented, very cerebral player. Next to him, they have a Juco inside linebacker named Lakia Henry, who was the number one junior college inside linebacker recruit in the country this year. He is very strong and very fast, and maybe he doesn't have as good of a grasp of the scheme yet because he didn't get to campus until the fall, but he's earned the first team spot, and he's going to be running all over the field Saturday. Then two more JUCOs that I want to mention. Sam Williams is going to start at outside linebacker opposite Kadir Shepard. Shepard's got a club on his hand. He's got a broken hand, so he'll probably end up being the will linebacker, and Sam will probably be the Sam. He will be the guy that even when the nickel comes in, he stays on the field. He is the pass rush specialist, and he led all junior college players in sacks last season, so there is a pedigree with him. And then the third junior college player is a safety named John Haynes, who pretty much won the starting job outright in the spring when he'd only been here for a couple of weeks. He's a guy that they really like back there at safety and expect him to help out with guys like Miles Hartsfield, Jalen Jones, and 
uh, Kedron Smith, your three cornerbacks that they trust. Uh, if you have Jalen Julius at one safety and John Haynes behind them, I think Ole Miss has a group of five or six defensive backs they trust, which is a much bigger number than was the case last year. Well, man, before we before let you go, I know it's kind of know it's kind of hard to, to to predict if you got two teams coming into this game that are, are experiencing some changes, some different things going on. Memphis, of course, loses Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, who were so so but the big part of their offense last year. You got Ole Miss switching to the three four defense. You got a new quarterback coming in, but when you look at this game, how how would you expect it to go? What are, what are your thoughts on on how this thing might play out? My guess is that four quarters will be played. Presumably one (laughs) team will have more points than the other. And if they don't, they will keep playing overtime periods until one team does have more points. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm expecting a little bit lower scoring than some people are. I would pound that 68-point over-under spread just because these are two offenses with new coordinators and there are bound to be mistakes. Uh I think that Memphis, with how well the Tigers play in the daytime and how well the Tigers play at the Liberty Bowl, should have the edge on a sheer size, speed, physical ability perspective. Ole Miss probably has the edge. Whether you believe that things like home field advantage and the ability to play in the daytime outweighs that, that's up to your prerogative. I personally think this is going to be a game decided by a field goal or less, but I think that there are a lot of different ways you can see this happening and none of them are necessarily wrong because uh, it's really hard to predict football games. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I think, like you said, Memphis has played really well in that spot at 11 a.m. noon kickoff since the national television, ABC game. They've done really well in that spot. Uh, so it, it will be interesting to see, but I'm excited to, to, to get started. Uh, man, it's a, a big game here. I assume you're coming up to Memphis for the game. Yes, I will be there. Yeah, I was, uh, well, I'll probably see you over there at the Liberty Bowl, man. Thanks for taking the time to, to carve a little time out for you. I know it's a busy time for you, man, and, and, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks for joining me here on TSR Live. Happy to help anytime you need me. No problem. Thanks, Nick. That's Nick Sutt from the Clarion Ledger. This is Nick Sutt from the Clarion Ledger joining me here on TSR Live. Uh, glad to get his insight, man. I'm it's a big game, man, and I'm excited uh, about about a new season. Uh, like I said, the hope springs eternal. Uh, we always say at the beginning of the season, but it should be should be a fun fun game. Uh, Coach Norvell kind of threw down the gutlet here earlier this week, saying that a lot of guys on this Memphis football team got overlooked by Ole Miss, and that they're, they're going to come out with a chip on their shoulder. And I know some guys from Ole Miss probably uh, with with this game being close proximity, they probably know some of these guys and. They play together, grew up together, so they're going to be fired up. The fans are going to be fired up. And, and again, man, I, I love these games, uh, the, the regional games. Again, you know Ole Miss fans. When you talk about these SEC teams, you know Alabama fans. You know Tennessee fans. You know Arkansas fans. They're they're all over Memphis. So, I mean, it, it's fun when these two teams get together. I think, um, as I kind of talked about earlier, I think if Memphis wins this game, even though, according to Vegas, they're supposed to win this game. But if they do, I think you kind of look at it, uh, and nationally, people that, that are looking at this nationally, they, they would say, oh, man, Memphis opened the season with a win over SEC team. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that could kind of springboard them because you look after that, uh, Memphis' schedule really lightens up. And Memphis has the opportunity, I think, they'll be going into that game 
uh, against uh, Temple uh, with a chance to go bowl eligible. I mean, you got Ole Miss here on Saturday, then you get Southern out of the swag next week. You're at South Alabama. Uh, you got a Navy team who Memphis has struggled with in the past, but they, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I think this, this time it's going to be at the Liberty Bowl. Uh, Navy really nosedived after that win against Memphis last year. And that game still hunts me, man. That's a game that Memphis should have won up, uh, up on the East Coast, but uh, we know how they were in the rain came. And they were running all over in the first half, but, but just couldn't get it done in the second half. Uh, but I think they, they get revenge and win that game this year. Both times the game has been – or not both times, the first time Navy got the win. But the last time the game was at the Liberty Bowl – Memphis got the win. I think that'll be the case this year. Then you're at Monroe, um, and I think you go into the game at Temple five and zero, and an opportunity to uh, to 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 gum bowl eligible and and do some special things. Uh, I mean, you look at this this schedule. This schedule is set up for Memphis to possibly run the table. I'm not predicting that I, over on our site, TigerSportsReport.com. I predicted them to go eleven and one, uh, but we'll see, man. This thing gets kicked off on. Saturday, man. A few housekeeping notes before I get out of here. Uh, first off, TSR Live, the press box, our brand-new pregame show, is, is coming up on Saturday, 9 a.m. going to come to you two hours prior to live from the Liberty Bowl, prior to every home game. Uh, we'll get you set for that day's game. You can give us a call on that show at 917-889-9149. If you're out on Tiger Lane, my guy Mitch Davis is going to have a live feed out on Tiger Lane with the tailgate and all that. Man, we got so much stuff coming up on TigerSportsReport.com, so check that out. Uh, uh, real quick, man, I want to send a, a shout-out to my guy, T.P., Tony Pollard. Uh, being a, a Memphis alum, a Memphian, uh, and also a, a Cowboy fan and someone who covers the Tigers, I, I'm proud to see what Tony Pollard is doing up there with my Dallas Cowboys. And with Ezekiel Elliott's holdout, it, it looks like, at least for week one, it doesn't look like Zeke will be back, so it looks like Tony Pollard is going to get a chance to to start and run behind that big offensive line. So I think it's going to be a a great uh, a, a great. I think he's going to have a great career uh, with Dallas Cowboys. I think great things are ahead for TP. So shout out to TP, man, representing Memphis with my Dallas Cowboys. But again, man, you can follow me on Twitter at Isaac underscore Rivals. Again, that's Isaac underscore Rivals. You can follow my guy Brian Moss, the founder and editor of TigerSportsReport.com. You can find him on Twitter at Rivals, B-Moss, R-I-V-A-L-S, letter B-M-O-S-S. And you can also find my guy Mitch Davis at Mitch Davis underscore eight on Twitter. Man, we're going to have all kind of content coming up leading up to Saturday. Again, check out the pregame show. Give us a call at 9 a.m. I'll have info on how you can listen live to that on my Twitter feed. Uh, other than that, man, we'll see you on Saturday. Thanks for joining us. If you join late, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Tune in and Stitcher. Just go over there and search TigerSportsReport.com. Click the subscribe button, and you'll find this podcast and all our other podcasts archived there. Had a great preview podcast on Sunday, episode 101. That should be there. And until Saturday, go Tigers go like we always say. Go over to TigerSportsReport.com. Check it out, and I'm gone.
ma ho 